All right, come on in, grab a seat. Great to have you this morning. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today, especially if it's your first time, maybe first time in a long time. Welcome to those watching online. Our, our online community is growing, and by growing, I mean there's 13 of you watching online. So cool to have you. But 13's more than 12, which it was last week, so it's growing. That's not a lie, right? That's not a lie. But glad that you are here as well. Exciting to, uh, to be with you this morning. Uh, before we get started today, a couple of things. Uh, we do have an extra class actually starting next week as well. So starting next Sunday, we'll have three great class options for you. We'll have the U, which is our discipleship, kind of membership class, all things UCC, kind of biblical narrative, core values and beliefs. We'll also have, as I said, Robert Johnson teaching his class on the bait of Satan. And then the ladies are doing their own special class on sweet relief. We did a one-day conference on this material uh, last fall. And so they're going to walk through that book. It's Caitlin Garrison's book, Sweet Relief. So ladies, starting next Sunday, you'll also have your own class. So we're super excited about that. And then the ladies have the If Gathering coming up. Registration is available outside. So I wanted to make sure I, I made mention of that. Uh, I would also love to just spend a minute or two in, in prayer before we begin. Uh, this was a heavy week. This was a hard week. Uh, if you were watching the news at all, uh, then you noticed that lots of atrocities and lots of terrible things kind of happened in rapid succession this week. We had several mass shootings in California. We had a six-year-old student bring a gun and shoot a, a teacher at school. And then, of course, we had uh, the heinous beating and the wrongful death of, of Tyree Nichols. Uh, the effects of sin, right, the brokenness in our world, they're all around us, are they not? You can't escape it. And that's kind of what we're talking about in this series. But sometimes... When you see these things kind of depicted there on the news or spoken about so often in the headlines, it just weighs heavy on your heart. And it should. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn. And mourning is not just a sadness because you've lost something. It's a sadness because of the way things are. They're not the way they should be. And so it's important for us as believers to be upset by these things, to not grow callous or apathetic to the brokenness that's all around us. Let's pray for a minute together and ask God to, to come. Father, your, your promise in the scripture is that if we would humble ourselves, seek your face, and cry out to you for help, that you will hear our cries and that you will heal our land. And so we ask for that now. We pray for all of those affected by the, the things that happened and transpired this past week, and we ask you to bless those who were directly impacted by some of that violence and hatred, some of the evil. That, that's all around us, God. We ask that you would heal us. Would you come and do what only you can do and provide peace and comfort and joy in the midst of the sadness and the pain and the hurt. Please come, Father, and, and help, help us. Help us to look more like the way we're supposed to and not this broken, twisted, distorted uh, world that we live in. So come and, and be a part of this place and, and come and heal us and bring hope in a way again that only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for, for joining me in that. We are in the middle of a sermon series right now called Simply Seven. It looks like we're in the middle of an, an art expo. I apologize for that. Uh, kind of one and the same right now. But the series is called Simply Seven. And what we're trying to do is simplify the gospel, simplify the biblical narrative, if you will, a biblical worldview into seven words. Keep it simple. Say it in seven words. Some of you are telling me, man, it's hard to say anything of great importance in seven words. But uh, I would ask you to talk to the young couple that I read about this week who went to the doctor and they heard these words. You're having a baby, oh wait, triplets. That's seven words, and that's a lot there, isn't it? 
So you can say a lot of things in seven words, and that's our hope right now, is to say kind of all that we believe in and all that this world is about and all that we're about in seven simple words. But before we get into the fifth word, what I believe is the sweetest and the most powerful of all the words, I want to do a little, a little review. So I need uh, four volunteers to join me uh, this morning. Four volunteers. Anybody brave enough to step onto the circus uh, stage that is university? Okay, I've got two over here, two college gals. Thank you so much. Two more. Yes, come on down. Mr. Leachman, I need one more, one more brave volunteer. Who wants to join us? Bailey's going to come on down. All right. The young people are stepping up today, folks. All right. Jackson's going to give you a microphone. Just stand kind of in a line right here in front of the steps. There we go. Perfect. All right. Yep, that's perfect. Bailey, come on over here. Stand closer to the other Bailey. Bailey squared. Okay, Bailey and Bailey. All right. This is how this is going to work. So when I point to you, my friend, I want you to say the word creator every single time I point to you. Okay? So let's try it. Creator. 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 Okay. All right. He's good. He's good. He's got it. Okay. All right. Uh, Bailey, number one, when I point to you, I want you to say the word curse. Okay? Curse. 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 Okay. Good. She's got it. Bailey, number two, every time I point to you, I want you to say the word captivity. Okay? Captivity. 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 Okay, good. She's got it. Okay. And then finally, I want you to say the word covenant. 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 Okay, good. Covenant. I think we're ready to... Covenant. Okay, all right, all right, good. I was trying to catch her off guard there. Okay, so these are the four of the seven words we've covered thus far, correct? So this is kind of how the series has gone. If you're joining us, this is kind of what we've been talking about the last month or so. So back in the beginning, there was a... Creator. And we needed a... Because, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right. Because everything was blank and void, right? It was an empty canvas. The scripture says it was tohu vabohu. But there was a creator who wanted to do something beautiful with this canvas. The creator wanted to make something incredible. And so he did. He painted this beautiful picture and the creator was so happy with it. It was gorgeous. It was good, right? The scripture says it was so, so good. But after the creator made this beautiful creation, something came in. It was called a curse. And the curse wrecked everything the creator made. <laughs> right? This curse wasn't just on the surface. It was deep in our heart. It went deep into what the creator made. And so this curse just wrecked it all. And that's the black paint on one of those canvases, right? This curse was just everywhere. And the problem with the Curse. is that we couldn't get out of it on our own. Try as we might to escape the curse. We couldn't get rid of it, right? We were held in captivity. And this captivity was probably worse than we could imagine, right? It was a slavery of sorts. So we, we couldn't escape the grip of the curse. And it probably made the creator really upset. So here we are stuck in our captivity. They're all like, <laughs> they're all nervous. We were stuck in our captivity. And we couldn't escape the curse. But then God came and made a promise known as a covenant. Say it again. Covenant. And this covenant was to release us from our captivity. Undo all of the curse. And get us back to what the creator originally intended for us. See how that works? So there's a great creator. But there's a curse that sets us into a captivity. But hold on, there's a covenant. Hey! There we go, everybody. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. We got it. We got it. They always say, don't be on stage with children or animals, but it's all right. They did amazing right there. Proud of them. All right. So that's where we are. Now we get to the fifth word, quite possibly the most important word. 
How many of you are grossed out by blood? Anybody? Yeah, right? I've met a few folks, mostly pre-med majors, those strange type, right, who actually enjoy blood. But most people, majority of us, can't stand the thought of it, let alone the sight of it. Blood causes most of us to feel a little woozy at best, a little queasy, right? A little squeamish. I came across a video several years ago of a lady who wanted to play a trick on her husband, and so she got a bunch of fake blood, put it all over her arms, held a knife in her kitchen, and started screaming bloody murder for her husband to come in and help her. So you can imagine, it's like a little hidden camera. The husband comes running in, sees all of the blood, and I kid you not, passes out, falls right on the floor. I was going to show you the video, but I can't have anybody passing out this morning, okay? Church can't afford that right now. I don't know if I can afford that ever. I'm not sure if that's ever a good thing. But here's the thing. From cuts and scrapes to graphic movie scenes, it's hard to escape the presence of blood in life, right? It's just a part, it's a part of living. It's a part of our existence. But more than that, it's even harder to escape the presence of blood in the Bible. This might surprise you, but the word blood or the concept of blood is mentioned over 450 times in the biblical narrative. It sounds kind of morbid, but blood runs throughout the storyline of this book. That's especially true when it comes to these Old Testament rituals and practices that took place back in the temple. Let me try to describe to you how all of this would have played out, what it would have looked like. I want you to imagine for a second that we're standing in the middle of this huge kind of outdoor corridor space. It's a big square. We're back in the first century, and this space is known as the temple courts. Okay, this is the temple courts. It would be the equivalent kind of our church foyer, if you will. It's where everybody gathered before they kind of went in to worship. And if you think our foyer is a little chaotic and crazy at times, you ain't seen nothing compared to the temple courts. The temple courts would have been chaotic to say the least. Thousands of people would have been crowding into this space. Countless merchants would all be fighting to try to make a buck or two off of you. If you've ever traveled to a Mexican airport, right, you know exactly what this looks and feels like because they try to hustle you for some money there. There's myrrh and cinnamon and saffron and frankincense burning all around. There are huge piles of grain off in one corner, and there's a choir, and I kid you not, with an entire orchestra over in the other corner. You kind of imagine the scene? It's chaos. It's a circus. It's a zoo. Imagine state fair, a Cowboys game, a Justin Bieber concert, and worship all happening kind of in the same proximity. Kind of an awkward combination, right? There's just so much going on, lots of hustle and bustle. But that's not all the crazy stuff. The craziest part is that around the courtyard, there would have been all of these crates filled with animals. And this isn't some sort of like animal rescue thing. This is an animal sacrifice kind of thing. You would purchase an animal based on the depth of your sin or the depth of your pocketbook, or both. And then you would present this animal to the priest, and the priest would sacrifice the life of this animal on the altar for your pardon. He would take the animal, a dove, lamb, goats, he would take that animal, he would symbolically place your imperfection on the animal, and then he would slit its throat. And the blood of that animal then would be poured out on the altar. It would have been sprinkled on different items. The flesh of the animal would be burned. The skin of it would be preserved. But this would happen hour after hour after hour, day after day after day, year after year after year. So as you can imagine, this whole thing would have been a bloody mess. I mean, the priests would have been covered in blood. 
All the items around would have been covered in blood. Containers would have been filled with blood. And countless animals would have been drained of their blood. So if blood's not your thing, then the Old Testament temple court altar was not your thing. It is a bloody mess. Now, I've tried to depict this here on our canvas. So I've got the black that messed up the canvas. And then I've just got a bunch of gross red paint, like blood, 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 blood. So now our canvas is even worse, right? Now there's blood everywhere on this thing. But I don't know about you. This all kind of sounds strange to me, even like pagan. I watched the movie Apocalypto several years ago. Not sure if you've seen this. It's depicting the Mayan rituals, right, and practices in their temples. And you talk about blood. They are sacrificing lives of people every single minute of every single day. And blood is just pouring down their pyramids. So is that what's happening here in the Bible? Like, is the God of the Bible this bloodthirsty beast? And do you have to give him blood or else? Do you have to give him blood to appease him? Well, let's find out together this morning. Romans 5.12 says this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one Man, the curse came through Adam, and death now has come through sin. And in this way, death has come to all men because all have sinned. So throughout the series, we have depicted kind of the brokenness of our world, the stuff that we were talking about there on the evening news, right, as this kind of black paint that's on our canvas. The creator took that which was blank and void, made it something beautiful, but then our sin came in and wrecked it. But here Romans 5 is telling us the consequence of the sin, it's not just some black paint. In fact, the painting was killed, if you will. I didn't have a way to to depict that, right? Like take a knife to this thing. Okay, you're taking this a little too far, preacher. But the canvas is not just wrecked a little bit, it's completely destroyed. It dies, That's the the consequence of the sin. It's not just a little, you know, wrecked paint on a mediocre painting. It is completely and utterly destroyed. Romans 5 tells us that when sin and the curse entered the picture, the picture isn't just messed up a little bit. It's destroyed. The word used for that destruction is death. The moment that Adam and Eve turned their back on the Lord, death came flooding in to all creation, from the smallest cells to the highest mountain peaks. Death is simply the separation of things, the ripping apart of things, the destroying of the good things that God has made. So death, you need to think bigger than what you typically think. Death can take on multiple forms. Death can be the death of a dream, right, where a good dream is ripped away from you. You can no longer satisfy it. Death could be the death of a relationship, death of a marriage, where it ends in divorce and two people are ripped apart. And death can be a physical death where the the air in your lungs is separated from your lungs, right? Death is the separating of things, the the destruction of things. So Miley Cyrus has that line, right? I came in like a wrecking ball. No, sin came in like a wrecking ball. It wrecked everything. When it came in, it ushered in death. Wherever there is sin, there is death. The destruction of things, the ripping apart of things. I don't think that death was a part of the original creation, that beautiful canvas that existed back in the beginning. No death was in that picture at all. Things were going to live forever and ever, ever, but then death was initiated. Death was brought into the scene. It was ushered in, and now we can't escape it. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death. So the same idea that wherever you have sin, you have death. But this phrase, wages, is really interesting. 
that term is referring to a soldier's payment, like a voucher that a soldier would receive for serving their country throughout that week or those two weeks. So the, you know, the soldier's putting in 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and they go, it's payday, here are your wages. So now think about to Romans 5, the wages of sin. Man, you've been working hard all week sinning, haven't you? <laughs> well, it's payday. The pay is death. You are always paid in death, because wherever there is sin, there is death. And this is why what the enemy says, what Satan says in the garden is so ridiculous, because he literally speaks the opposite of what is true. What does he say? You won't certainly die, but that's exactly what would happen. He knew that when they sinned, death would come, and it would destroy things at every level, relationally, spiritually, physically, everything would die. But here in the middle of this mess, God in his mercy creates this system whereby another life could be given in your place. Your sin results in your death. That's kind of how this works because sin always demands and requires death. So God says, I'll I'll set up kind of a trade of sorts. Life for death so you don't have to give up your life. Another way to say it would be this. A life is sacrificed so your life can be spared. See, this painting, you, when the curse comes in, when our imperfection comes, sometimes by our own choice, sometimes it feels like sin is forcing us to do this, when it comes in, the painting deserves to die. That is true of me, that is true of you. So God says, we will spare this life, we will sacrifice another life so that yours can be spared. It's what Hebrews 9.22 is referring to. It says this, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood, the blood of animals, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now the word here for forgiveness actually means deliverance. There is no release. It has in mind this picture of a captive, interesting, one of our words is captivity, a slave who is in bondage to something. And so in order to be freed from this captivity, sin demands and requires blood and death. If you want to be released from this, then something's got to die. Someone has to die. The slave master sin says there's a price for your freedom, and that price is life. Someone's life. Who will it be? So right now we have two options, right? Let's say you mess up, and, and, and this canvas describes your life, which is true for all of us. Now sin, the slave master, is requiring death in order to be free. Two options. One, you can offer up your death, right? You could die. What's the problem with that option? You're dead. Exactly. Right? I could die for this, but then I'm dead now, and the story is over. So if I die for this, then sin, death gets what it wants. So God says, instead of you dying for this, I will sacrifice the life of an animal for this. We will accept, well, sin, I guess, will accept that option, right? The consequence of the fallout of sin is death, and it has to be satisfied. Wherever there is sin, there has to be death, And so something or someone is going to die. And so God sets up a system, again, where animals can be sacrificed. Their blood can be spilled. Their life can be given so that you and I can be set free. But I want to make this clear. God is not the one demanding this death. Who is? Sin. God is not this bloodthirsty beast who is requiring all this blood to be shed. Who is? Sin. It's the slave master. Sin requires and demands death. And so sin has to get what sin wants, and it's death. 
Sin always results in death. It always delights in death. And it's not going to let you go until there is a death. And so for years and years and years, animals were sacrificed. Death, death, death to try to pay off the slave master. To try to break people free from this mess. To try to get us out from under the curse and the captivity of it. But God was not pleased with this. He didn't want this. And here's the main reason why it didn't work. Hebrews 10.4 says this. Those sacrifices, all those Old Testament sacrifices, are just a reminder of sins. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So all that blood that was shed on this canvas, it actually didn't free anybody. It just reminded them of how enslaved they were. It just made a bigger mess of this entire situation. People would sacrifice an animal, be forgiven, right? And then they would go out into the parking lot and they would mess up again. They would sin later that day. And what does sin always require? Death. So they would sin again and more death would be required. Then they would sin again, more death would be required. It reminds me of when occasionally I see a couple like fighting in the parking lot after church. It's like, wait, were you just inside for the last 67 minutes hearing about the goodness of God and the grace and love and all that stuff and here you are already messing up? Like just leave the parking lot and go fight at McDonald's. Just give the pastor a break, right? Just let me, just let me sit in ignorance for a few minutes. Like what we're doing here is doing something. But that's how it is, right? As soon as you would leave that sacrificial altar, you'd mess up again, and then more death would be required. So it was animal after animal after life after life after death after death. The whole thing is this bloody mess. Let me see if I can explain it to you a different way. How many of you have a credit card? Raise your hands. So most of us, right? Most of us kind of understand how, how these work. Now, I love the perks of these things. Beck and I always, you know, uh, cash in on the extra points and the bonuses and all this stuff. But credit cards can actually be very dangerous, can they not? They're, they're a form of debt. And someone can be making payments on their debt while actually falling deeper into debt. It was always interesting when we would teach students this back at Pepperdine, that you can make the minimum payment on your credit card but because your interest rate is so high, you're actually racking up a greater balance. Well, the card says it's a $25 minimum balance or minimum payment. Yeah, but your interest rate is 97%. And on your balance, you're actually paying 25, but you're racking up 125 every month. So they would get their bill. It's like, but I paid last month. Why isn't it less? Because you paid off a little bit, but you actually got charged a lot of it. This is how it was with sin. This is the Old Testament to me in a nutshell. People were making the minimum payment, the animal sacrifice to try to get sin off their back, to try to have the creditor stop calling just a little bit. What was happening to the balance? It was actually getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You would sacrifice the dove, but your sin would continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. You'd sacrifice the goat, but the sin would get deeper and deeper and deeper. So this wasn't working. Here's how I say it. You can make a payment without making any progress. That's what was happening. So much blood was being shed. It was a payment to sin, but it wasn't making any progress. The minimum blood payment didn't change anybody's heart. The minimum blood payment didn't change anybody's spirit or allegiance. The minimum blood payment didn't free anybody. It was insufficient. And that's why this word, the next word in our series, is so important. The word is Christ. Everybody say that word with me. Christ. This is it. This is the word. We could spend time talking about so many different and equally valuable things when it comes to Christ. 
in our next series here in just a couple of weeks, we're going to go through the book of Mark together and just talk about how remarkable Jesus is. I want you to be amazed at Christ. But this morning, I want to talk about, of all things, Christ's blood. I don't think this is going to make you queasy, but if it, if it will, there's some bags, I think, at the, the table in the foyer. The blood of Jesus is so important for so many different reasons. First of all is the fact that Jesus even had blood. I want you to kind of be amazed by this. I was babysitting some kids a few years ago, and I cut my finger while we were playing. So I went over to the sink to wash it off a little bit, and the two-year-old comes up from behind me, and she says, Oh, you have blood too? Like, yeah, I do. That's kind of how we should approach Jesus, right? Think about it. God Almighty in bodily form, flesh and blood. Oh, God, you have blood too? He does. He took on flesh and blood. He cares so much about us that he literally became just like us. And here's something I don't want you to miss. For a little more than 30 years, Jesus lived just like you and me. He experienced the human condition and what it was like to live on the earth exactly like you and I experienced it. Everything was just the same for him as it was for us, except for this one thing. In every single moment, Jesus completely obeyed the Father. Think about that. Think about those moments in the last couple of days or last few weeks where you kind of messed up or where you did your own thing or you did something kind of selfish or short-sighted. Jesus never had any of those moments. There was never a moment where he didn't trust in the Lord. Never a moment where he didn't believe in the goodness of God. Never a moment where he didn't surrender his will to the will of the Father. Can you even fathom that? There was never a moment where Jesus was imperfect, ever. We say to err is human, do we not? That's not true with Jesus. He never erred. He never experienced that. I want you to think about that. Sin and selfishness and the curse, all of those consequences, they never came onto his canvas. So if Jesus was a canvas, right, he was beautiful forever and ever. And that's why I think really broken people were so drawn to him, right? Because you and I, we look like this. But if we were to see a perfect canvas, a beautiful canvas, wouldn't we be so drawn to it? Of course we would, because everybody looks like this. But Jesus didn't. The only person in human history to never look like this, he looked like the perfect canvas. And so everybody's so drawn to him. Oh, that's what life is supposed to look like. Oh, that's how good life can really be. Oh, that's the glory of God on full display. It's his canvas, just so perfect and so beautiful. His blood was perfect. His life was perfect. His spirit was perfect. Think about that. And that's why, because he was so perfect and his blood was perfect, that's why it has this unique ability to cleanse. Listen to these verses. 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, what? Cleanses us from all sin. 1 Peter 1, 2. God the Father knew you, he chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him, and you have now been, what? Cleansed. Cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So throughout the Gospels, especially in one moment where his ministry is beginning, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God. John the Baptist sees him coming and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God. It's kind of weird. Like, is Jesus like God's mascot? Like, we're the lambs. Whee! Go, lambs. <laughs> you know, whatever. 
Like, it's not a very scary mascot. It's not, it's not, it doesn't really work, God. Like, that's your mascot, the lamb? We were the butterflies in our high school. It was the monarch. It actually stands for butterfly. They try to make it lion. It's a butterfly. Sorry, I still have some bitterness about that, obviously. But the lamb. Okay, why would he call Jesus the lamb of God? What's the significance of that? What's happening in the Old Testament day after day after day? The lambs are being killed, right? Why? Why is the lamb's blood being shed in the Old Testament temple? For the cleansing of sin. So Jesus is the lamb of God. Wait, what? The lamb of God? He's going to be sacrificed for the sin of the people to, to cleanse us? Yes, that's exactly what's happening. But unlike all those other lambs, Jesus' blood is perfect, and he sets us free forever. It's like this plot twist. People are habitually and ritualistically going through the motions. I sin, something's got to die. I sin, something's got to die. I sin, something's got to die. And Jesus comes in. You sin, something's got to die. But no more animals, no more little lambs. How about the lamb? The Lamb of God will now be sacrificed. His Son will become this atoning sacrifice and save us from sin. Here's why. Leviticus 17.11 says this. The life of a creature is in its blood. The life of a creature is in its blood. That is true for Jesus. The life of Jesus is in his blood. The perfect life of Jesus is in his blood. The miracle-making power of Jesus is in his blood. The soul-saving ability of, of Jesus, it's in his blood. The immortality, the eternal nature of Jesus, it's in his blood. Jesus and all that he was and all that he accomplished is in his blood. All other blood is sinful and all other blood is mortal. The world has never seen a perfect life, a canvas that's not been tainted by sin. Satan did not know what to do with this blood. He's been able to wreck all other lives, all other bloodstreams, but not him, not Jesus. It's perfect. His blood was morally perfect, and it had immortality and eternity running through it. So when you're covered in his blood, you're covered in his life. Does that make sense? When you're covered in dirt, you're dirty. When you're covered in mud, you're muddy. When you're covered in Christ, you're like Christ. That's how this works. In Christ's blood, unlike any other blood that's out there, you are completely cleansed forever because his blood is perfect and it's eternal. This is not a perfect analogy, and I apologize, but it's as good as I could find on a tight budget. This is our canvas. It's completely tainted by sin. And now there's blood all over it because sin demands death. But let's say what I have in here is the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus completely cleanses the canvas. It wipes away all of our sin. Again, it's not perfect. It's just some paint, all right? I'm sorry. I didn't have the perfect analogy here. But it wipes the canvas clean. And, and, and the animal blood could never do that because I would mess up again and the canvas would be wrecked again. But the blood of Jesus, it does it once and for all, once and forever. Can you, can you imagine that? Why? Because it's perfect blood and it's immortal blood. So the blood just kind of flows over you again and again and again. Jesus can offer it to you every single moment that you need it. In fact, you're permanently covered in the blood. That's why Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. What is finished? This habitual, ritualistic blood and death and blood and death and blood and death and paying your slave master and sin demanding death and sin requiring. What's, what's done? That whole process is done. You're free now. You're free now. 
because of Jesus. Sin got what it wanted and demanded, which was what? Blood and death. And God got what he wanted and demanded, which was what? You, perfect and free and holy. You can't make this up. This is incredible. Jesus says this very thing, Matthew 26, 27, 28. Listen to these words. He took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and he said, each of you drink from this cup. It represents my blood, which confirms this new covenant that we talked about last week between God and his people. And what is it? It is poured out as a sacrifice for sin. Okay, maybe you've noticed, though, what's happened to my canvas? It all came back, didn't it? The paint just only, it only disappears when it turns 85 degrees, okay? Darn it, I hate this stuff. But I think this is also a powerful analogy in this storyline. What do we think happens in our life? Well, I sinned. Jesus covered me. Like, I gave my life to Jesus a couple years ago. I was baptized when I was in college. But, man, I've made a mess of things ever since. Like, you won't believe what I did in my 20s. And in my 30s, it was even worse. worse. In my 40s, I was pretty apathetic. In my 50s now, I'm kind of coming back. But I don't really know if God would forgive me for those 30 years that I wasted. And so we think our canvas still looks like this. This is the blood of animals and goats. The blood of Jesus cleanses it forever. If I had a, a, a thing that could cover it or, or erase it forever, I would do that. But you just have to know, this is not how you look in God's eyes. You are perfect and holy. It's a beautiful canvas. It's either blank, a new creation, or it's even a better creation than what was before. And we're going to talk about this next week. You have to come back next week because our calling now is to not fall into this anymore. Our calling now is not to live like this anymore. Our calling is to live like the blank canvas, the beautiful canvas, a new canvas. That's the calling. Sin no longer has mastery over. You can't say, oh, well, just sin made me do it. No, it didn't. You're not a slave to sin anymore. You have every right to say, sin, back off. <laughs> and so you and I have this great calling that we live now in light of what Christ has done for us. I hope this is making sense. I wrestled all week long with how to communicate this to you, and it's hard stuff. I'm sorry. We're kind of in an upper-level class this morning. So if you're new to Christianity, come and find me. We'll try to talk about it a little bit more together. Here's how I would summarize it. Sin makes a bloody mess of things, doesn't it? But Jesus, through his blood, frees me from my mess. Sin makes a bloody mess of things. But Jesus, in his goodness and through his blood, saves me from my mess. I'm going to have Jackson come up and lead us in a song. We, we know the line well, if you've been in church for any length of time. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So don't forget this canvas. Next time you mess up, you have been washed and cleansed. You are perfect and holy. But I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. Christ's cleansing blood is available to all, but not all will experience its cleansing power. Isn't that sad? Like when you know the storyline, that people are trapped in this, but not everybody will be rescued from this. Why? Why won't everybody be cleansed from this? Because they don't invite Jesus to do the cleaning. When my girls were little, we had this little above-the-ground pool, and because they're pastor's kids, we were playing baptism in the pool. It's like, and you're baptized, and you're baptized, and you're baptized, right? Well, God doesn't force his way on you like that. You have to ask him to cleanse you. But that's all you have to do is ask him, and he will cleanse you. And so the scripture says there are three things. If you have not done one of these three things, then your canvas still looks like this. 
It says, make a public declaration of faith. If you profess my name before others, Jesus says, I will profess your name before the Father. Have you ever said, I believe in Jesus, and have you ever said that publicly? The second thing the scripture tells us to do is to be baptized. And in light of this canvas and all the water, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Let's be cleansed by the water. And the scripture says that baptism has this unique ability to cleanse our conscience, to cleanse the deepest parts of our canvas. And so the water is warm, I promise you. Funny story, we baptized a guy this past week on, on Wednesday morning, and I remember the staff telling me before, like, hey, the baptistry has to heat up. And I thought they said for two hours. So I turned it on a couple of hours ahead of time. They said 22 hours. That water was cold. And when I baptized that guy, he almost met Jesus right there and then. It was like, <laughs> it's hot, I promise. It's been on for like three days. But if you've never been baptized, then you've never experienced the profoundness of that water cleansing you. And the third is a surrender of your life to the Lordship of Jesus. Some of you have made a declaration. Some of you have been baptized, but you're still living as if you rule the world, as if you're the one in charge. And Jesus says, no, once you come to me, you have to surrender to me. Because if you go back to, to this, you're missing the point. So I'm going to be down front. If you'd like to talk to me afterward, you can. But, man, I would love, I'd love if somebody made a public declaration today who never has. I'd love to see somebody get baptized this morning who never has. And I'd love for people to surrender their heart this morning and say, Jesus, I want to do things your way. Because that's my way. <laughs> and it's terrible. So what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jackson's going to sing this uh, verse or two over us. As he does that, feel free to come down for communion. Communion is a time where we celebrate and remember the blood of Jesus, the body of Jesus broken for us. I don't have to say much this morning except come and be cleansed. Come to the cross. Let the blood of Jesus, the perfect blood of Jesus, heal you, help you, give you hope. Maybe because your life has looked like this the entire time, or maybe even worse like this. Jesus can fix it, I promise. So let's come down front this morning as we sing this song together, Nothing But the Blood.